Spartacus was a Thracian gladiator, a slave, who brought war to the ruling powers of Rome. He escaped from a gladiatorial training school at Capua, a little north of Naples, along with some 70 other gladiators in 73 BCE. And initially, they were just armed with whatever tools they could grab from the gladiator school's kitchen as they ran out. Knives, cleavers, anything else they felt they could kill with. Other runaway slaves soon joined them, and they quickly got a hold of proper gladiatorial weapons. Taking refuge on Mount Vesuvius, that volcano that would later bury the town of Pompeii, the gladiators trained the other slaves who joined them in rudimentary combat skills. Spartacus is believed to have been the primary leader of his new army, and beneath him two Gauls, Crixus and Enemos. Initially, Rome didn't consider Spartacus and his rogue slave army to be much of a threat, and they didn't send in the A-team to deal with them. They sent in some scrubs, the B-team, Summer League team, the Development League army, and Spartacus's army outmaneuvered and defeated the first four forces they confronted. And then his new slave army grew tremendously in size. More slaves continued to swell his ranks with each victory, and at its peak, his army is believed to have been 90 to 120,000 strong. At one point, Spartacus and his army could have braved the Alps to the north of Italy, headed back to freedom in their homelands, but they didn't. They attacked the Roman Empire itself instead. And how did that work out? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Time to learn not only about the life and bloody times of Spartacus, but also about the history of Roman gladiatorial combat. Today, on an equal parts testosterone and history, on my signal unleash hell edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, time suckers. Happy beginning of what's going to be a kick-ass week for you suckheads. Or uh, maybe it'll be a terrible week. I don't know. What am I, a soothsayer? Who am I, the, the Oracle of Delphi? One of those uh, many ridiculous palm readers slash charlatans on Hollywood Boulevard down there in L.A.? No. No, I'm Dan Cummins, Lord of the Suck, patron cleric, paladin of the four great gods, Lucifina, Nimrod, Triple M, and Bojangles, and you... Dear, curious, beautiful, well-endowed meat sack are listening to Time Suck. And I hope, hope you're going to have a kick-ass week and that your town gives you the key to the city and a free case of whatever you enjoy free cases of. Uh, I'm recording this one a bit in the past again, so I'll be optimistic again and assume that I had a great time at the La Jolla Comedy Store with Queen of the Suck, Lindsay. I for sure had a blast in Orlando. My God, the podcast was sold out, man. How, how fun was that? Uh, all five stand-up shows were a blast. New materials coming together. Getting a, getting a feel for how to do this live podcast thing. I feel like I learn so much each time. Uh, I got a good plan for the rest of the podcast coming up for the rest of the year. Uh, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick a topic that's only you're only gonna be able to hear live uh, for six months or so. And then, I'll, and then I'll switch to a new one. And I'll do that one for those six months worth of shows. That'll help me uh, polish it up a little bit. Have it be that much of a, a better show. I'll pick a topic that I that I feel really confident is going to be a great live topic. And then if you want to hear it, you know, for, for uh, you know, six months plus, the only way you're going to be able to hear it is if you come to a live show. Uh, I think that's going to be better than just kind of rolling with that week's topic. But still had a blast. Had a blast in Orlando. Um, uh, the Flat Earth tro- uh, Tour rolls into Dayton, Ohio. The Funny Bone this weekend, just two nights. Friday, Saturday, July 27 and 28. Get those tickets. Solid room without a bad seat in the house. Uh, from there, going to roll into Side Splitters in Tampa, August 2nd to the 5th. First time in that club. Been to Tampa many times. Not been to that club. I've heard it's a solid, historic, old-school stand-up venue. Palm Beach Improv, Zane's in Chicago in August. I'm touring hard for a while here. Uh, Denver Comedy Works, 23rd to the 25th. Going to do another live time. Sucks Sunday the 26th. Uh, going to build on what I learned in Orlando. And Orlando was a blast, so I know Denver's going to be a blast. 
They're uh, the live podcast, man. They're just big old time suck parties. Hail Nimrod. And by the way, uh, I always forget to say this. Uh, any of the shows, stand-up or live podcast, I hang around. Um, you know, I have like a little merch table, but I also just take pictures and talk to people who show up. You know, thank you for coming out. So basically like a, a free meet and greet after every single show. Uh, more tour dates, some more live podcasts coming up. You know, stand-up and live podcasts in Portland and Tacoma. SoCal dates in Hollywood and Huntington Beach. St. Louis, Spokane, Buffalo, New York now. So much more at DanCummins.tv. You can follow me at, at Dan Cummins Comedy on Instagram and Facebook. Kept up on tour dates. And uh, Harmony Velikamp, she's a fucking meme machine on at Time Suck Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, random sales tax note. I haven't been paying it. Uh, whoops. Some kind of some kind of tax law changed a few months ago, and I didn't uh, didn't pay attention. So my accountant is asked uh, to collect sales tax on uh, on online sales going forward through the Time Suck store for applicable states. Because if we don't, she has to track down every sale after the fact and manually calculate and pay for each individual sale, which is a fucking nightmare. So God damn it, Lucifina! Lucifina told me not to worry about it. Lucifina is always saying like, "Don't even worry about it, Dan. Just relax. Have another drink. Take your pants off. Just chill. You know." Get naked and just relax and don't pay things. So be gone, Lucifina, but I love you. And that's it. That's it. So now let's get rugged. Let's get Roman. Let's get rock hard for shit so manly it is beyond my 21st century male comprehension and suck on some Spartacus. So who was this Spartacus character? This character, as uh, Zach Galifianakis would say. Uh, Well, honestly, we know virtually nothing about his pre-gladiator life other than he was a Thracian. So what is a Thracian? Well, Thracians were the Roman Empire's first professional athletes. They played an early form of a discus-based game, pretty similar to modern Frisbee golf, called Thrace. And the best Thracians could hit a small steel target with a bronze disc from about two, 300 yards away. Spartacus played for the Naples Superbuses, and they'd won the Isle of Capri Tri-Nation Championship three years running. Spartacus just picked up an endorsement from Troy's Talcum Powder, the most popular hand-slash-body-slash-ball powder of Rome. Troy's Talcum. Don't toss a yoga over your balls or leave Rome without it. I'll show myself out. And that's nonsense, and you know, and you know that. Now let's talk about who the Thracians uh, really were. Uh, Thrace is a historical area that stretched from the Balkan Mountains to the north, the Aegean Sea to the south, the Black Sea to the east, the area of present-day Bulgaria, parts of Macedonia, Serbia, Romania. Uh, and let's take a look at the progression of Thracian culture with a brief time suck timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time-suck timeline. All right, this timeline starts uh, 35,000 to 40,000 BCE. The earliest traces of man in Thrace go back to the Paleolithic time. 40,000 years ago, humans were still probably speaking mostly in grunts and clubbing whatever they wanted to have. You You want a pet dog? Well, you club it a bit. Tell it respects you as a master and starts listening to your grunts. You want, you want a ham sandwich? Find a hog. Club it till it stops grunting. You want, you want a woman? Well, threaten to club her until she grunts her agreement to some sort of marriage. I honestly have no idea what Thracians were up to 40,000 years ago, and neither does anyone else. But, uh, you know, based on archaeological digs and discoveries, that's when they realized uh, they, they showed up in the area for the first time. Around 6,000 BCE, historians know that Thrace was settled by an agricultural population. 2,000 years after that, they discovered minerals. Turned uh, to mining and to metalwork in central Bulgaria, archaeologists have excavated numerous copper tools, weapons, and ornaments, all dating from that period. Man, uh, working in a Thracian mine must have been really terrible. 
Like like mining is hard work. I've I've watched miners work uh, outside of uh, Wallace, Idaho. That shit's no joke. Down you now, thousands of feet underground, heavy tools, hot conditions, I mean, uh, back breaking, sweaty, not messing around kind of work. But at least you know modern miners can use explosives, heavy equipment. You know they get they get breaks every once in a while. To, you know, can you imagine mining in the in the days when you, when you couldn't even buy a shovel. You had to make your own shovel. Back when you had to build a shitty rock shovel to and use that to dig for more rocks and then figure out how to smelt some kind of some copper out of some some kind of ore to build a little better shovel to keep digging for more rocks. No bottled water, no protein bars, no backpack full of snacks or a Coleman cooler full of sandwiches, full of tasty sandwiches and cool Gatorade and shit. No, you have you have some shitty creek water in a fucking bucket or something. Something you can't even wash with soap. Some old nasty salted meat so hard and sharp you, you probably use your meat for a shovel. Eat whatever fruit or vegetable is in season, but not too much because you get the runs, which has to be extra bad if you're in a mine. Now, now you're shitting where you're digging. Other miners are annoyed. The mine shaft smells worse than ever, worse than the dried meat. Then you're, you're wearing some nasty ass, not soft, not form-fitting underwear. You got blisters and calluses all over your hands, probably on your on your junk from your underwear. You know, you got, you're using that stupid rock copper shovel you hate so much. Odds are if you were, you were a slave, you know, if you were mining, so you probably don't get to have a bath when the workday's over. It's terrible. And you thought working that swing shift at Target was terrible. Well, at least you get AC and popcorn, right? Maybe even some benefits. Uh, by 3000 BCE, Thrace's metalsmiths were working in gold, probably panned from rivers, were crafting rings, bracelets, plaques, other adornments uh, that were among the earliest gold objects to come out of any place in Europe. The actual first mention of the Thracians is in Homer's Iliad. The Thracians are listed as allies of Troy. Then around 700 BCE, uh, Greek, uh, uh, they started colonizing the Greeks, started colonizing portions of Thrace. And by 600 BCE, a line of Greek cities had been established in Thrace, which led to active trade between the Greeks and the, and the barbarians, as Greek called everyone that was not part of their culture. Uh, at this point, Thracians still lived in tribal organizations, usually as farmers, hunters, or fishermen. Then around 450 BCE, the uh, ancient Greek historian Herodotus, contemporary of Socrates, visited Thrace and wrote about him. He said that they uh, they smelled weird and they had too many nipples, and he and he fucking he was out. No, no, he didn't say that. He said uh, he wrote that the Thracian believed in immortality, had curious sexual and marital customs. He said Thracian men had several wives, and check this out. He said that if the husband died, or you know, like when the husband died, uh, the wives would then compete over who had been his favorite wife. And the winner, the winner of the competition gained the privilege of being immediately killed and, and placed by his, his side, like placed, you know, in, in, his, in his tomb by his corpse. She got to, she got to sleep next to him underground. Uh, the, the, these burial mounds, by the way, have been found all over uh, Thrace, you know, like present, a lot of them in modern-day Bulgaria, uh, containing chambers that were carefully built, decorated with precious objects to serve the deceased in the afterlife. In, in some cases, two wives... You know, were found buried with their husband, so maybe their competition ended in a tie. I wonder, I wonder how many women threw that competition in order to stay alive. You know, and it's oh man, oh man, you totally won the race. Oh, I can't. I what are the odds that I would get a Charlie horse like at the last second, right before the finish line, and then you not thinking you were going to win, then you stumble for, and you so lucky that you got to win. You were always his favorite, man. What, what I would give. For another chance at winning my own immediate execution, so that I could stab, be stabbed to death. But uh, you know, you're you're the lucky, you're the winner. So you get the spear to the heart. Uh man, 
Yeah, and, and that is kind of how they died. You know, one ancient Thracian burial chamber archaeologist found the bodies of a young couple, the woman with a knife through her breast, and in an outer, a second woman transfixed by a spear. So, uh, you know, you, you'd think you, you could maybe score a less violent death if you were the favorite wife, if you were the winner. Maybe some kind of ancient sleeping pill overdose, you know, instead of a, instead of a spear or knife. That sounds unnecessarily brutal. According to Herodotus, Thracians wore foxskin caps, tunics, long cloaks over the tunics, animal skin boots. So that's a fucking odd look. Uh, they carried javelins, light shields, short daggers. Uh, I, wish you, I wish you could have drawn a picture of that foxskin cap situation. I, I keep picturing in my mind some sort of gladiator Davy Crockett mashup, which makes it hard to take them seriously. Uh, I, I can't take a man in a coonskin cap seriously today. I feel like there was a brief window in history when you could take a man in a coonskin cap seriously. Maybe like a 10, 20 year kind of window. You know, I think even like by the late 1800s, you'd be like, come on, dude. I, okay, I get it. You're proud of building your fucking cabin, but take off the goddamn cap. Um, definitely not today. Definitely not today. Like, can you imagine if someone recommended a financial planner to you and you show up to their office and they're wearing a coonskin cap? D- the degree doesn't matter at that point. I don't care if they have a financial degree from both Harvard and Yale. I'm not trusting my f- financial future to some, you know, uh, man or woman wearing a coonskin cap, Spe- especially if they seem bummed out. I don't know why my mind went there. But if you are going to wear a coonskin cap, I feel like you got to be really upbeat. You got to be happy. Then maybe you can kind of pull it off if you're like the eccentric, happy person. You're still a fucking weirdo that people don't t- totally trust. But, but better than a sad sack of shit in a coonskin hat. <laughs> That's unbearable. Somebody with tears in their eyes and a coonskin cap on their head is that's that's not going to be a fun conversation. Anyway, I'm getting real distracted. The shield was a crescent-shaped uh, shield that the Thracians had. It's made of, a, of like a wicker covered with a hide called a pelta. The men who carried it were peltists. Makes sense. Uh, these troops were extremely mobile, excellent for guerrilla-type combat, the exact opposite of how the Greeks fought. The Greeks used slow-moving hoplites. Hoplites were uh, Greek spear and shield-carrying soldiers who fought primarily in a phalanx formation, you know, like a rectangular group of rows of hoplites. Each, each, each row locking shields side by side, the first few rows sticking their, their spears out over the first row of shields. Picture the Spartans in the 300, you know. Tonight we dine in hell, right? Those guys. The phalanx moved as a unit. Uh, shield and spear wall advancing towards enemy at a walking pace. But this formation was only really effective when you were fighting on like a flat space or or if the opposing army was also fighting in a similar formation. It, it didn't work against the chaotic coming from all directions, hit and run attacks that the Thracian Peltas kind of specialized in in battle. Yeah, so they like, got this whole system out and they're like, advance, and they're like marching. And then all of a sudden they're like, ah, shit, these fucking guys are just kind of sw- swarming us. They're running around us. That's not working well for our straight line formation. They're just, God damn it, they're getting us from the side. They're, they're, they're kidney shotting us. They're kidney stabbing us. Uh, so the Greeks started hiring them as mercenaries to join their ranks, you know, fight fire with fire, fight Thracians with Thracians, hail Nimrod. And, uh, and they were able to do that. Thracian culture kind of changed all the time to become uh, mercenaries, moved away from its agricultural roots into a warrior culture, you know, uh, young Thracian men dreaming of putting a sword in their hand instead of a plow. And, and if you're wondering why they would fight each other, well, they, they, did, they shared a culture but not a kingdom. They weren't unified under one ruler. At all. Many different rulers. You know, different little uh, warlords and chieftains. Herodotus also mentioned the Thracians had some interesting cultural characteristics, like a, like a habit of selling their children into slavery. That's how it's written in numerous sources. The Thracians had a habit of selling their children into slavery. As, as far as habits go, that's a terrible one. You know, just 
Hey, Clavicus, are you still smoking? Yeah, yeah, it's a hard habit to break. Uh, how about you, Menalocletus? Are you still selling your kids in slavery? Yeah, you know, I, I thought I was done. I thought I was done. I, I hadn't sold a kid into slavery into probably two years. But then my new wife, Big Breasticus, had twins last month, and wouldn't you know it, uh, I got drunk. I had too much wine, and, and, uh, and I sold one. She's, she's still pretty upset. Uh, she wishes I would at least uh, haggled a bit more over the price of the of the twin. Um, the most accurate translation I could find from Herodotus is that the Thracians sell their children and let their maidens uh, commerce with whatever men they please. Nice. Uh, that whole that whole uh, whatever whatever men they please thing comes from the Thracian religion, not caring about virginity. They were a lot more relaxed sexually than other cultures uh, and later cultures. Uh, you know, I guess the Romans would be pretty relaxed as well. Then later, it was acceptable for young unmarried Thracian women to kind of bang whoever they pleased, as long as those uh, people weren't married. You know, uh, as long as they weren't married. So, so hail Lucifina! Lucifina loved the Thracians. I'm pretty sure she was one of their gods. Thracian ladies slanging and banging, just enjoying that slang and banging life. Uh, Herodotus also alluded to the Thracians being the most powerful people of the known Greek world, or that they would have been if they just you know unified. Uh, in time, their nobles did grow quite wealthy and became quite fond of gold. Some some 50 years ago, the owner of a farm in northern Bulgaria stumbled upon a hoard that belonged to one of these Thracian chieftains, a collection of solid gold bowls, cups, lids, some three-part vessel, had an aggregate weight of more than 27 pounds of pure gold. One bowl alone weighs nearly nine pounds, a, a bowl made of somebody eating some old fucking oatmeal, some some ancient soup. Out of a nine-pound gold bowl. I hope some museum uh, paid him some solid money for those items. I mean, how cool would that be to find pounds and pounds of ancient gold kitchenware in your yard, on your land? Gold is worth a little over $1,200 an ounce today. That farmer found well over half a million dollars U.S. you know value today. And, and that's if you melted it down and sold it. That's not counting any historical value. Best harvest ever for that farm. That's when you sell the farm. That's when you, fi- when you find a pile of Thracian gold, that's where that old saying comes from. If you find a pile of Thracian gold, you sell your farm. I can't imagine how excited I would be if I found treasure. Like that would, that's, that's one of my greatest dreams. I think I would speak primarily in shrieks for probably a few weeks. Just, I found some gold! I found so much gold! Oh my, it's a blast of Thracian gold! I don't sell crack anymore! I can buy my crack! I can buy my crack! Sorry about that. I've seen pictures of Thracian gold. It's incredibly well done and decorative. Amazing stuff. Uh, the Thracians had developed some interesting rituals by that time, uh, by the time the Greeks began to write about them. Uh, as a part of their whole kind of macho warrior culture vibe, they, they began adopting. Uh, the Thracians played some crazy kind of like, look at how tough I am type games as part of celebrations and festivals. So Spartacus came from very tough uh, culture. Like, this shit is insane. There was this, there was this weird Thracian equivalent of Russian roulette uh, that warriors would engage in, a little celebrations to prove their might. A man clutching a Thracian short sword would stand on a stone and put his head in a hangman's noose. Someone would then kick the stone away from like behind him, and the, and the trick was to slash the cord before it was too late, and you hanged yourself and died. Apparently, those not fast enough drew a big laugh from the crowd for their unfortunate lack of skill. Jesus, and I, and I thought we enjoyed some dark comedy here in Time Suck. Uh, the Thracians really took it to a new level. Just <laughs> look at him, what a fool! Too slow with the rope, and now he's dead. That's rich. Too too slow a kiss. We'd have a future in comedy if he wasn't, you know, if he wasn't, if he wasn't dead now, hanging from the rope and such. Um, 
And then over the next few centuries, Thrace would be absorbed by Greece and Rome. Greek Macedonian King Alexander the Great rolled through parts of Thrace in the 4th century BCE, conquering southern Thracian territories along the coast of the Mediterranean, the Black Seas, pushing them farther north. Then in the 2nd century BCE, Rome showed up, which would lead to the capture of Spartacus. For a long while, the Romans were content to do as the Greeks had done, confine their attention to the coastal strip, let the rest of the country go its own way. And again, I say country, but, you know, loose formation of chieftains. All they required from the various Thracian chieftains was to uh, the right to recruit cavalrymen. Uh, the Thracians had also become proficient on horseback by this point. Peltists, uh, they wanted to be able to recruit Peltists to serve with the Roman armies and the opportunity to acquire slaves, which just kind of went on, you know, all over the ancient world. And then over the next few centuries, much of Thrace would be conquered outright by the Romans. And rugged young Thracian males became highly sought after after the first century BCE by not only the military, but by ancient fight promoters when the Romans discovered they made first-rate gladiators. During the peak of the Roman Empire, no program of gladiatorial combat was complete without a Thracian duel. And, uh, and the one gladiator most know by name today, Spartacus, was one of those Thracians. And Spartacus became a gladiator after he was sold into slavery sometime in the early 1st century BCE. Estimated that Spartacus was born in 111 BCE. We don't know much about the life of Spartacus before his life as a gladiator. Dude lived a long time ago. Dude lived pre-Jesus. Not a lot of solid records being taken by everyone back then. He didn't keep a diary. Uh, a Greek historian w would write approximately 100 years after Spartacus' death that he was a Thracian by birth who had once served as a soldier with the Romans but had since been a prisoner and sold for a gladiator. Uh, a Roman historian writing in the first century CE, decades after Spartacus' death or Spartacus's death, uh, described Spartacus as one who, from a Thracian mercenary, had become a Roman soldier that had deserted and became enslaved and afterward, from consideration of his strength, a gladiator. Uh, he was thought to be from the Thracian tribe of the Mighty, which occupied the area on the southwestern fringes of Thrace, along its border with the Roman province of Macedonia, uh, present-day kind of southwestern Bulgaria. Roman historian and biographer Plutarch, alive in the 1st and 2nd uh, century CE, writes that Spartacus's wife uh, was a prophetess of the Mighty tribe and that she was enslaved with him. And Spartacus and his wife were likely sold into slavery, and then he was forced to become a gladiator uh, sometime around 75 BCE. And they, they, they did live in the same – like when he escaped, he took her with him. So they were, at least were able to, I guess, be slaves in the same uh, – under the same ownership. Plutarch wrote that, uh, yeah, that she was a prophetess possessed by ecstatic frenzies that were part of the worship of the god Dionysius um, or Dionysus. Dionysus. There we, uh, so she sounds, she sounds like she was kind of nutty, you know, which, which means it's – Pretty good chance. She was also probably fantastic in bed. Uh, legend has it that one day after Spartacus woke up with a, a snake coiled around his head, or that, yeah, uh, she declared that this was a sign of a tremendous and fearsome power that would bring him to an unfortunate end. Uh, so that, not the ideal prediction you want your lady to make. Uh, she was the, the rare psychic, I guess, who was willing to tell people bad news. That's a, that's a weird, I mean, that's a, that's a weird. I've never understood like like negative uh, predictions. Most most psychics, I feel like, kind of keep it positive, which I get. Probably bad for business if you're if you're telling negative stuff. But yeah, why would you tell somebody it's like, hey, uh, good news, you're gonna you're gonna lead something important. Bad news, uh, you'll die in the end. So, I don't know. Who knows if that happened or not? In 73 BCE, Spartacus was among a group of gladiators plotting an escape from his gladiatorial school in Capua, roughly 25. Uh, I, you know, I, some sources I saw, and when I did map quiz, said 25 miles. Uh, other descriptions I found said 16 miles. So maybe, maybe, maybe uh, 16 miles from the suburbs, 25 miles from downtown or something. Anyway, a little bit north of Naples, Italy. 
And now we're going to really dig into what it meant to be a gladiator in Rome and that, uh, and what was happening in Rome at this time as we hop out of this time suck timeline. Good job, soldier. You made it back. Barely. So what was going on with the Roman, uh, you know, Republic in the age of Spartacus, which is, uh, you know, 111 BCE to, to 71 BCE? Well, Spartacus just, just uh, he lived just before the age of the famed Roman military general uh, Julius Caesar. Julius certainly had heard of Spartacus. He was a boy of 10 when Spartacus died. Uh, the first century BCE in Rome corresponds with the last decades of the uh, era of the Roman Republic. That period of classical Roman civilization that began with the overthrow of the Roman monarchy, traditionally dated to 509 BCE, ending in 27 BCE, when the Republic gave way to the Roman Empire, uh, when Rome would be ruled once again by one man, now called an emperor instead of a king. Uh, the government of the, of the Republic was constantly evolving, but it, but it pretty consistently revolved around the governing body known as the Senate. Uh, too much to get into in any depth here, but basically the Senate evolved out of an advisory council, and we talked about this in the Caligula suck. Um, that it had been when it was the, uh, um, you know, the ruled by uh, kings, which is the Roman, yeah, the mon- Roman monarchy period. Um, it was an advisory council, and then it uh, evolved into a bunch of toga-wearing dudes who essentially controlled Rome for centuries, even though technically two consuls were elected each year by the, by the people and that they were the official leaders. However, the consuls only served short one-year terms, and then they fell out of power and then fell beneath the power of the Senate. So it was always in the best interest of consuls to play nice with the powerful Senate members while in office so they'd be better taken care of. The Senate was you know, really where the power lied in the republic. You know, they decided how much money was going to be spent on things. They picked uh, leaders of various Roman provinces, etc. In order to be in the Senate, you had to be powerful and wealthy, had to be a landowner. There was various other criteria and duties as well, and basically a few hundred wealthy, powerful dudes – uh, who served lifetime terms, decided how shit was going to go in Rome. And then Julius Caesar came along in the first century BCE, powerful general who expanded the Roman Republic through a series of battles across Europe while doing a whole bunch of other shit and declaring himself dictator for life. We'll, we'll suck Caesar directly someday. And, and everything he accomplished, uh, he accomplished after the death of Spartacus. All, all the Roman emperor stuff happened after Spartacus, Augustus, Nero, Caligula. Uh, in fact, the Roman Colosseum, the most famous gladiator arena in the world, was built 100 years after the death of Spartacus in 70 CE. And, uh, and all the gladiator stuff, well, that would get going before Spartacus was born. Uh, gladiator culture was already, even though the Colosseum hadn't been built, firmly entrenched in Roman culture by the time Gla- uh, Spartacus showed up. It uh, started at least a few centuries before Spartacus in the 4th century BCE. And, uh, and gladiator games would continue until a very specific date, until January 1st, 404 CE in Roman culture. Uh, an early Christian monk named Telemachus came to Rome at the dawn of the 5th century CE was horrified at the cruelty of the gladiator games, even though Christianity had been made the official religion of, of Rome by Emperor uh, uh, Theodosius the first, uh, um, Theodosius the first, excuse me, in 380 CE, the games had continued. According to the writings of the 5th century bishop, uh, Theodoret of Cyrus, Telemachus ran into the middle of the gladiator games, tried to physically stop the gladiators from fighting, and then the, spe- <laughs> and then the spectators were so upset about him breaking up the fight that they stoned him to death. <laughs> so it didn't work out well for him. Oh, man, that's a bummer for him, man. He runs out there. There's too much violence. Must Please stop with the violence. And the crowd's like, nah, dude. No, uh-huh. Huh. We, uh, we got money on this game, motherfucker. Get out of there. Go on. Get out of there before you get the stones. I will not leave. Ow. Please, that hurts. Ow, that's a bigger stone. Oh, my, my ear. And then, then he's dead. Uh, the emperor uh, 
uh, Anarius was so disturbed by the murder of this holy monk uh, that he banned gladiator games from that day forward. And then they never resumed. And that was that. Uh, well, how did they get going? How did they get going before Spartacus? Let's, let's suck into that. Uh, but before we suck into the beginnings of gladiatorial games, let, let's, uh, let's hear a word from today's sponsor. Time Suck is brought to you today by Chikatilo's Wrestling Academy. Uh, Chikatilo's Wrestling Academy is giving Time Suckers 25% off the ticket price to their special summer gladiator camp. Adults, but mostly kids, are encouraged to spend a week in the Ukraine where they will learn to fight to the death against Chikatilo himself, who has been brought back to life using technology related to the Human Genome Project, which is different than the Human Genome Project, all right? Chikatilo version 2.0 will teach Gladiator Camp attendees how to defend themselves from shamecock-based wrestling gladiator moves. Like the limp dick pelvic thrust, the shamecock side shimmy and slash, the what's-his-big-deal sweatpants distraction jerk. So reserve your place or your kid's place now and get a free forever limp water bottle, come clean waist, uh, wristband, t-shirt, and drawstring making soft man hard backpack. What's his big deal? And that is is not, of course, today's sponsor. That was, that was for me. But I felt compelled to mention Chikatilo's camp in a fighting base suck that undoubtedly involved a lot of wrestling, so much wrestling. Uh, Time Suck really is brought to you today by Hims. Take it from Hims for Hims.com. It's a lot easier to keep the hair you have than replace the hair you've lost. One of the many hair loss prevention products that for Hims sells is finasteride, which I've taken for a couple years. No, no shame in my game about that. I was born with a uh, high hairline. But then about four years ago, it started to uh, thin, started to pull back bits. And, uh, and, I, and I like my hair. Uh, I like it. And I want to keep it. You know, it's my thing. And then, I, and then I, uh, a dude I was working with at a production company told me about finasteride. He took it. His hair not only stopped falling out, it actually thickened a bit. I was uh, working with him long enough to, to see that happen. So I got excited. I tried it, and I was lucky enough to have the same results. Now, not everyone actually sees their hair thicken again from finasteride. That doesn't happen for everyone. User results do vary. And, and, you know, and not everyone has their hair actually stop thinning, but it did work for me. I uh, work for my buddy Brandon, who probably doesn't love that I use his name. But I'm not using his last name, so whatever. And thanks, Brandon. And, and at 4 you can get a lot more than Finasteride. Uh, 4 is the one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men with medical-grade solutions, real doctors, and well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions that can help you keep your hair. 4 isn't dicking around with your dick or any part of you. 4hims.com offers men easier, more affordable access to their prescriptions, products, and medical advice they need. And these aren't herbal supplements. You don't, you don't buy it off a website that also sells monoatomic gold and has a representative that talks a lot about reptilians uh, trying to rule us. No. These are prescription solutions backed by science. No waiting room. No awkward doctor visit. Answer a few quick questions. Get everything sent directly to your door. And time suckers get a, a trial month of everything you need to keep your hair for just five bucks today, right now while supplies last. See website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to a doctor or pharmacy. Go to forhims.com/timesuck. That's f o r h i m s dot com slash timesuck. Forhims.com slash timesuck. Link in the episode description. All right, now we're back, back to the beginnings of gladiatorial combat in Rome. Uh, it's hard to put an exact date on the first gladiator fight, but uh, historians at least seem to agree on the basic time period and what gladiator matches evolved out of. Tomb frescoes from the area of Pestum in the 4th century BCE, when it was still a Greek city, clearly depict gladiator matches. These early matches were part of funeral rituals where uh, gladiators were forced to fight to the death to celebrate and honor the death of some important military leader, landowner, or statesman. 
And if that sounds super fucked up, you know what? Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, it was. But prior to gladiator fights to the death to honor the recently deceased, slaves just were straight up sacrificed to honor the Roman gods. So at least now, you know, they literally had a fighting chance. Uh, It was not until 264 BCE, roughly 200 years before the arrival of Spartacus, that the first documented gladiator contest took place in Rome itself at the funeral games held in honor of the death of popular aristocrat Brutus Para in the Forum Boreum. Uh, 174 BCE, 74 gladiators fought each other during a three-day fight fest. Uh, special, you know, part of a special funeral ceremony uh, held for some wealthy Roman. Uh, the first officially sponsored gladiatorial games were held nearly 70 years later. They were an instant success with the public. As the Roman appetite for blood sports grew, thousands of prisoners captured in Rome's numerous wars of conquest were trundled off to specially constructed training centers or schools to prepare them for the games. So in the 100 years uh, or so before the life of Spartacus, gladiatorial games were morphing out of just being a part of funeral rites and becoming a true sport. And it became super popular all over the Roman Republic. Rome would prove to be the largest stage for combat, but soon there were fights happening all over the place, you know? To compare it to the NBA, it's like playing in Rome would be like playing in Madison Square Garden when people cared about the Knicks, you know, when they were good. Or playing in the Forum in, uh, in L.A. When, when they were good in the 80s or 90s, you know? Fighting in Naples or some other minor city, that would be like playing, you know, uh, wherever the Orlando Magic play or wherever the New, or- New Orleans Pelicans play, if those are actually still teams. Uh, <laughs> and as gladiator matches, I know I'm going to get some emails. And as gladiator matches morphed out of slaves uh, forced to fight at funerals into Rome's most popular blood, sports, uh, blood sport, it became big business. Uh, it took all different kinds of forms. There would be small matches put on in various little towns within the Roman Empire, again, like the bigger matches in bigger cities, you know, the biggest matches at the Colosseum in Rome. And did people pay to watch these matches? Sometimes. It's assumed that sometimes. Probably like some of the smaller matches. I'm sure there was like, you know, little fights that you could, you, you know, might have to pay to get in. Um, the big ones actually tended to be free. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of sometimes and maybe answers about gladiators because we just, we don't know all of the details. And it happened over a long period of time and things changed substantially. And we just don't have the answers of how and when things kind of changed exactly. Like, like think about how much uh, combat sports have changed in America in just the last 50 years. With the arrival of MMA. 30 years ago, a, a lot of the early MMA matches didn't have weight classes. You could eye gouge. You could quite literally punch another dude in his dick and then drag him around the ring by his ponytail. Uh, I, watched, I watched an old <laughs> MMA match. It was like, I don't even know if it was called UFC at that point. Um, but I just watched this dude in a, in a, in a wrestling single just get his, his cock and balls jacked. Like, because he, he was so tight, you could see the impression of his, of his junk, and you could see the fist smash it over and over again. I was blown away by how many punches he took before he finally tapped out. Uh, we do know, anyway, that most of the biggest games, the ones put on by the biggest Roman political leaders, especially the emperors, were either totally free or primarily free to the public. You know, the public could bet on the matches, but they didn't have to pay to watch them, at least not from certain seats. Uh, having the people pay to watch would well, kind of defeated the point of a lot of these games for a lot of leaders. They put on the gladiatorial games. They hosted them as a display of their wealth and power in order to earn the loyalty of the people they governed. You know, sometimes in order to, to, to quell, you know, revolts from breaking out to appease people. They had to, they had to keep the poor people happy. You know, I feel, like, I feel like today leaders make sure poor people have enough money for uh, the Internet, iPhones, PS4s, and Netflix. Right? Can they, can they still watch TV? Can they still play video games? Can they still get Starbucks and Taco Bell? All right, cool. As long as they can post on Instagram and play free games online, they're probably not going to revolt. Back in Rome, gladiator matches, right? They're pissed about not getting enough grain to feel properly nourished. 
They're sick of losing so many sons in, in various Roman battles to acquire new territory. They're irritated about rampant disease burning through the city. They're talking about revolting. All right, all right, all right. Well, let's get them to come to the Coliseum, watch people fight to the death, and get attacked by fucking snakes and lions and shit for 100 days. And uh, that'll distract them long enough for us to figure something out. And people love gladiators. Gladiators became super popular in Roman culture. Star gladiators were treated like gods by the Roman people, especially the poor people of Rome. Kids would play with gladiator figurines made out of clay. Uh, gladiator portraits graced the walls of many public places. Kids, you know, they played again with those action figures. Most successful fighters even endorsed products just like top athletes today. They were, they were uh, renowned for their ability to make Roman women swoon. Graffiti from Pompeii describes one fighter who catches the girls at night in his net and another who is the delight of all the girls. Uh, women would wear hairpins and other jewelry dipped in gladiator blood. Fuck, God, that sounds messed up. Some even mixed gladiator sweat into what they considered an aphrodisiac, into like facial creams, other cosmetics. And what a strange, uh, strange mixture, man. Gladiators both star and slave in various kind of periods of Roman history. Hard to wrap my head around that, you know? I, I guess most stars, arena, you know, became popular enough to win their freedom, but, but some did remain slaves even though they were immensely popular. Uh, most gladiators adopted stage names like 20th century professional wrestlers. That's, that's pretty dope, you know? Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we witness the Slayer of Gaul taking two scimitars against the Greek giant in his spiked iron club. The Crocmaster takes on Neptune's hurricane. The undefeated Hades, eater of souls, goes head-to-head against rookie Johnny Dinglewhistle. Yeah, probably some of the names weren't, you know, good or intimidating. Uh, and for the final two-fight tournament, we have Triple M, the voice of Nimrod versus the Butcher of Rostov. What's this big deal? I don't need swords. I tie rock to end the soft shame cock, swing it around uh, like a tube sock with money bag of quarter. It's an effective weapon I combine with much wrestling power move. Shield is for capitalist Roman dogs, I know you. Chikatilo uh, needs no armor. I wear loose-fitting communist sweatpant made with uh, dirty cotton. Uh, so rough, no weapon can pierce. Yamo cut you, oh oh oh, Yamo stab you, oh oh oh, taking it to the street, taking it to the slashing up all your meat, slashing up all your meat. The winner shall fight the one-eyed, three-legged pit bull of Atlantis, Bo Jangles, undefeated in two hundred and thirty-four straight matches, two of which he laid on his back to fight, and one of which he slept through. Praise Bo Jangles! Thanks for putting up with that. That was that was fun for me. That was fun for me, and uh, again, one take for what it's worth. For what it's worth, and I'm sure uh, you know. I'm sure I'm, this is confusing as hell for new listeners, but uh, you know, it's a lot of inside jokes. But for real, Rome really did have star gladiators. One particular star gladiator, Hermes, was memorialized in a poem by Roman poet Marshall, who revealed he was both a gladiator and a trainer, skilled at not just one but three different fighting styles. He dominated other fighters with the long spear, the trident, that's especially badass to me, and with his own helmet. God dang, man. Bashing fools with his own helmet. Or maybe he had some kind of Hermes headbutt power move or something, some kind of finishing move. Straight out of Mortal Kombat. Finish him. Uh, so great was Hermes that he made a fortune for ticket scalpers. According to historian Nigel, or Ni- Nigel, Nigel, Nigel Carthus. Nigel Crother's book, Sport in Ancient Times, the Roman Coliseum could seat 50,000 spectators. Some speculate it actually could seat a lot more than that. Uh, and while there were blocks of seats that were free, when a big-name gladiator like Hermes was scheduled to appear, fans would pay scalpers in order to get the good seats, see their favorite fighter. 
Uh, to be a known gladiator is such a different level of tough that I can even comprehend. Like, it makes today's UFC fighters look like little crybabies. You know, Hermie clearly wasn't just a dude uh, who dreaded getting the arena if he specialized in three different fighting styles. At least part of him relished, you know, fighting to the death. And he trained on top of fighting. You know, man, man loved the arena. Uh, Marshall also described Hermes as having the strength of three men and sanity. Uh, sadly, whatever happened to old Hermes is uh, lost to history. Uh, gladiators made some money. Gladiators uh, received money for victories. Uh, you know, if someone owned them, which, you know, which was fairly often, they didn't get to keep it. It went to their gladiatorial school, the the, the house that, uh, you know, housed the gladiators. But uh, but there were all, all different kinds of financial arrangements. Some promoters did let the, you know their fighters keep some of it even if they were slaves. Some promoters rewarded them in other ways with various perks such as uh, you know showering them with, with prostitutes or letting them share a bed with their, with their wife or wives or, or you know or, or buying up other members of their family to be around them such as their kids. You know we, we, we don't know how exactly how much money the gladiators did make. No Roman writer told us the amount of money. I uh, can't find it, but we, we do know. It must have been uh, substantial in some cases because gladiators became so expensive by the second century CE, Marcus Aurelius began to institute salary caps uh, on gladiators. And at some point during the development of gladiator fights, the fights were uh, no longer always between slaves. Free men began either selling themselves to gladiatorial schools to pay debts or provide for their families. Uh, other men made deals with promoters just to get in the arena and, and fight. You know, men who were totally free. Even a few emperors stepped into the arena here and there to fight. One emperor who'd fight in the... Uh, and the Colosseum was the one Joaquin Phoenix portrayed in Ridley Scott's Gladiator, uh, Emperor, uh, Emperor Commodus. Now, Commodus was stepping into the Colosseum during gladiatorial games in the late 2nd century CE, which was wildly uh, scandalous to the Roman people. He was viewed during his life and afterwards as just a, a terrible emperor in pretty much every sense. He was a delusional maniac who thought he was – like truly thought he was the reincarnation of Hercules – uh, he dressed up like he, uh, Hercules supposedly <laughs> dressed up like, ordered statues of himself to be dressed up like Hercules, uh, even ordered that the people call him Hercules, son of Zeus. While fighting in the arena, opponents would submit to Commodus, and then their lives would be spared. You know uh, That wasn't going to be good for you if you tried to actually hurt Commodus. You were, you were going to die, which I'm surprised someone didn't like kill him anyway, though. Like If you're, if you're already probably going to die, why not, why not at least kill him? Anyway. In private practice, kind of training type fights, Commodus would kill people in the arena. He, he was a, a serious piece of shit. Check out what was written about him. It's written that he would order wounded soldiers and amputees into the arena for him to slay them, like for real. Non-military citizens who had lost their feet due to injury or illness would be tied together. Commodus would club them to death. That's just that's how it was written. Ah, in addition to the crippled, Commodus would slay exotic animals such as lions, ostriches, hippos, elephants, and giraffes, just, uh, you know, just for the hell of it. And then he was assassinated uh, for being an asshole, basically. Uh, for non-emperor gladiators, uh, they could win prizes other than money. A, a laurel crown was given to gladiators for the most outstanding performance of a tournament. You know, I'm guessing that was kind of the equivalent of a medal or trophy today, point of pride, bragging rights. The greatest prize was freedom, a permanent release from the obligation to fight. Uh, as a symbol of this award, gladiators could be given a wooden sword. Uh, also, criminals could earn their freedom if they survived a certain amount of matches or lived a certain length of time as a gladiator. Generally, three or more years uh, of combat was required for criminals to win their freedom. Even though many gladiators were adored by the public and became famous, their legal and social standing was still very low, barely above that of a slave. They were considered to be legally and morally part of the lowest social rung, classified alongside actors, pimps, and prostitutes as in uh, infamia, ill repute. That's where the word infamous comes from. A little, little trivia 
to be well known for something considered immoral. Uh, the Roman infamia couldn't provide testimony to court of law. They were liable to corporal punishment, which was usually reserved for slaves. You know, by the but by the first century CE, despite this dip in legal status, you know, scores of free men began voluntarily signing contracts with gladiator schools in the hopes of winning glory and, and prize money. You know, these freelance warriors were often desperate men or ex-soldiers, you know, skilled in fighting. But some were upper-class patricians, knights, even senators, eager to demonstrate their warrior pedigree. Uh, gladiatorial combat also had religious significance in Rome. The gladiatorial uh, the games would often uh, open with a solemn procession to honor the gods, which often included human sacrifice. It was not just the Aztecs. They've been sacrificing people back in Europe as well. The gladiators represented the Roman theology of the divine and death and the relationship between mortal and Im- immortal. Their, their matches were Roman sermons written in blood, wrote one historian. Uh, most of the gladiator matches were about uh, money for promoters and uh, gladiator schools and uh, prestige for rulers hosting the games. Uh, it's pretty cool. Advertisements, as I said earlier, for gladiatorial displays have survived in Pompeii. Painted by professional sign writers or on house fronts or on the walls of tombs clustered outside the city gates. It reminds me of billboard, uh, billboards and posters plastered on fences and the sides of buildings in Los Angeles. It's funny for me to think of that uh, promoters were doing the same thing over in Europe, you know, over 2,000 years earlier. The, the number of gladiators to be displayed was a key part of the prestige of the event. You know, like the more gladiators fighting, the more generous the host was perceived to be, the more glamorous the spectacle. And, and of course, the more famous the gladiator, the more, you know, uh, you know, love from the people the promoter would receive. You know, you're a, you're a top-notch ruler if you bring in the great Hermes. You know, you're, you're about to be overthrown if your gladiator match is just two dudes and one of them is uh, Johnny Dinglewhistle. If you, if you wanted to impress the crowd, you brought in critters. That's if you really wanted to kick it up. You know, the bigger, more exotic, more ferocious the animal, the more power and wealth you displayed as the host of the games. Lions and cheetahs were big draws in Rome. Uh, and Rome, once the Colosseum was built, had a lot of these animals make appearances because the Colosseum was one of the few arenas capable of hosting these animals and having them unchained within its walls. You know, because the, the fighting pit was low enough compared to the stands that these creatures couldn't jump into the crowd and just start causing mayhem. Because apparently that happened at a match or two in some other places, and they were like, you know what, uh, maybe maybe we shouldn't release the animals into the pit if they can jump into the crowd. Start start slicing up the fans we're trying to impress. How crazy would that be if you're, if you're all pumped up to score front row seats for a match? You know, you're sitting there with some snacks. You know, you got a goblet of wine in one hand. You got an old, old wooden version of like a foam number one fan finger on the other hand. You're having the time of your life, jotting down sketches of all the shit you're seeing since they didn't have cameras. That probably never happened, but that's what I pictured to someone furiously making little fucking stick figure dudes and stick figure lions so they could show their friends later. Look at this one. This is when the lion bit his head off. Look at that. Look at this picture. Uh, then the lion's suddenly 10 feet from you, and you're like, oh, man, he's, he is really big up close. He, no wonder he's been kicking ass today. I, I feel like I could touch him. Then he stares at you, crouches down, prepares to pounce, and your last words are some Latin equivalent. Like, oh, shit. You know, bears, bulls, boars were also popular gladiatorial animals. The animals uh, weren't always fought by gladiators. Uh, so, you know, sometimes they were, they were part of big, elaborate the- theatrical hunts. Sometimes they fought each other. Scores of unfortunate creatures might be slaughtered in a single exhibition to open up some games. You know, 9,000 animals were slain during a 100-day ceremony to mark the opening of the Colosseum. Uh, another 11,000 were later killed as part of a 123-day festival held by uh, Emperor Trajan. In the second century, uh, Trajan, uh, second century CE, that's a lot of animals, man, 90 a day for over three months to open the Colosseum. Wild animals also served as a popular form of execution. Certain convicted criminals, sometimes even guilty, uh, or even people just guilty of worshiping the wrong god, 
You know, some Christians could just be thrown into the arena unarmed and then like, you know, ravenous dogs or lions or whatever be sending after them. Lions, bears, cheetahs, man, whatever. Basically, if, uh, if it was an animal they could find somewhat place in the Roman Empire that could kill a man, it was going to make an, uh, an arena appearance at some point. Smaller, less threatening animals were, uh, you know, were probably used by fight promoters who were low on funds. Like, you, you knew you would come to a janky-ass gladiator match if they brought out the squirrels. Geronicus, send in the squirrels. Release the possums, Geronicus. That's when, that's when you demand to have your money back, even if you came for free. That would be, that'd be awesome if that actually happened. Se- send in the squirrels, Geronicus. And then just an army of little squirrels, each wearing like little kind of like armor. Maybe like little kind of knives taped to their backs or something. You know, just come for you at first. You're like, now, fucking what are the squirrels? Then you realize you've been like, uh, like rubbed up with some kind of squirrel attractant. They just fucking poke you to death. Uh, that never happened. I was surprised uh, to find out this week that, that uh, not all gladiator matches were death matches, contrary to popular belief. You know, they didn't always end in the death of one of the gladiators. Historians think actually that on the average, probably no more than one in five matches end in death, ended in death. Most match, matches actually had referees and various, you know, rules of engagement, uh, many of which unfortunately have been lost to history. Most of the time, it's believed matches would end with one of the gladiators being wounded or just submitting to their opponents. Also, sometimes matches could end in a tie called about you know, by the crowd who were appreciative for a good, long, entertaining fight. Uh, this was good for hosts because deaths were expensive. For, for a gladiator who died in combat, the trainer, the Lanista, might charge the sponsor of the fatal spectacle up to 100 times the cost of a gladiator who survived. However, if the crowd called for the death of a gladiator defeated in battle, uh, you know, whoever was put on the show didn't want to look cheap and just pay the cost and, and let him die. If a gladiator was seriously wounded or threw down his weapon in defeat, his, his fate was left in the hands of the spectators. In contests held at the Colosseum, the emperor had the final say and whether the felled warrior lived or died, but rulers and fight organizers often let people make the decision, people watching. Paintings and films often show uh, throngs given like the thumbs down gesture, you know, when they wanted a, a, a disgraced gladiator to be finished off, but that may not be accurate. Some historians think the sign for death may have actually been the thumbs up, while a closed fist with two fingers extended, uh, thumbs down, or, or even like a waved handkerchief might have signaled mercy. Whatever gesture was used, it was typically accompanied by, you know, by cries of let him go, you know, or slay him. If the crowd willed it, the victorious gladiator would deliver a, a, a grisly, you know, final kind of death move, stabbing his opponent between the shoulder blades or through the neck and into the heart. Yep. Uh, freeing the gladiator was just as expensive as killing him. In certain matches, the crowds could call for the freedom of an enslaved gladiator, and then the politician or organizer of the game could, could free them, you know, give them that wooden sword, and they would have to pay the owner for their freedom, a, a cost known as a manumission. And they'd have to pay the same price, you know, uh, as a gladiator who, who died because they'd no longer be able to make their school or own or whatever any money. All right, now let's talk about different kinds of gladiators. Too many variations to go, to go through all of them now, but here's some popular types. Uh, Spartacus was a mermillo, which is a heavily armored gladiator, uh, you know, with a helmet, arm guard, loincloth, and belt, gator on his right leg, thick wrappings covering the tops of his feet, very short greave with an indentation uh, for, for padding the top of the feet. They carried either a gladius sword or a, stra- uh, a straight – or oh, sorry, excuse me. They carried either a gladius, which was a, 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 a straight short sword, or a curved Thracian scimitar-type blade, uh, and, and then a tall oblong shield in the, in the legionary style. Gladiators took their name, by the way, from the Latin word gladius, which is a, was a short sword favored by many of the gladiators. A little more trivia. Uh, there were the equites, the Latin word for a horseman or cavalryman. Uh, early forms of these gladiators were lightly armed with a sword or a spear. They, they had some kind of scale armor, a medium-sized uh, cavalry shield, brimmed helmet, 
Later forms had greaves to protect their legs, piece of plate armor you know, uh, for the leg between the knee and the ankle, usually composed of front and back pieces, a manica on the right arm, sleeveless belted tunics. Generally, they fought only other equities. Uh, there was the cestus, a fist fighter or boxer who wore the cestus, which was a heavy-duty type of kind of brass knuckle situation, but otherwise had no armor. So, you know, uh, sucked to be that dude if he had to fight uh, the equities. So it's, oh, come on, man. Oh, he gets a horse and armor and a sword, and I get brass knuckles and a fucking diaper. Come on. At least give me a slingshot. At least give me some rocks or some shit. Uh, in the late Republican, early imperial era, there was the provocateur, uh, challenger, uh, their armor mirrored legionary armor. They would wear a loincloth, belt, long greave on the left leg, manica on the lower right arm, visored helmet without brim or crest. They were the only gladiators protected by a breastplate, fought with a tall rectangular shield, the gladius. Basically, they were uh, some variation of Russell Crowe's character in Gladiator. You know, just, are you not entertained? They were the guys who I think were the, were the most badass-looking dudes, the Retarius, uh, armed with a net, long trident, like that Neptune-looking weapon. Uh, you know, a dagger. Uh, their fishing net was strung to the the wrist by a thong or by a thong and designed to ensnare an opponent and draw him into a kind of harpooning range. Man, suck to be that guy if you flung out your net and missed your opponent. Then there was the unluckiest of all the gladiators, in my opinion, the the bestiari. They had to fight wild animals. That's a that's a tough assignment unless you get the uh, unless you get the squirrels or the possums. Send out the possums. You know, no one defeats Possus Horaticus, destroyer of possums, annihilator of squirrels and rodents. Uh, also, even, even though I've been referring to dudes, not all gladiators were men. Did not know that before this week's research. Uh, until the year 200 CE, women were permitted to fight as gladiators and did so. Never see that in many Hollywood depictions, man. Hail Lucifina. Early, early Ronda Rousey's out there duking it out, slashing it up. Uh, these lady warriors... Uh, were not, though, un, uh, uh, taken seriously all the time in patriarchal Roman culture. The emperor uh, Domitian enjoyed pitting women against dwarves. That's fucked up for both the uh, male dwarf and the female gladiator. She has to try and kill someone who is physically disabled to some degree. He has to try and kill a woman, which was looked down upon in patriarchal Roman culture. So uh, some women did fight each other. Uh, woman versus, you know, woman uh, made some names for themselves. A marble relief dating to around the 2nd century C.E., depicts a bout between two women dubbed Amazon and Achillea, uh, whom the inscription says fought to an honorable draw. And, uh, and women also joined in the arena for the animal hunts. And, and uh, most of these various types of gladiators learned how to fight in gladiator schools. Uh, by the age of Spartacus, there were already a number of gladiator training schools throughout Italy. At such schools, gladiators received training in a variety of weapons, though they usually specialized in one weapon. Uh, but diets were carefully observed. A strict exercise regimen was enforced. Discipline and punishment were, were harsh, unforgiving. The owners of these schools, you know, they made their money by gladiators winning their matches. Estimated there were more than 100 gladiator schools or ludus throughout the empire. New gladiators were formed into troops called Familia Gladiatorium, which were under the overall control of a manager, a lenista, who recruited, arranged for training, made decisions of where and when the gladiators fought. When a new recruit entered uh, one of the gladiator schools, he was assessed by the lenista, a doctor, and the trainers. He'd be checked by Medici a doctor for any medical problems and whether he was physically suitable to train as a gladiator, equipped to withstand the rigors of training and combat. And also, I didn't, uh, didn't know this before, uh, unattractive men, just physically unattractive men would be discounted. Uh, I guess the spectators enjoyed good-looking gladiators. Maybe that brought more women to the matches or something, you know, or uh, 
more like, you know, I don't know, homosexual men or something would come out if there was good-looking gladiators. What a weird self-esteem blow. Uh, good news, you don't have to fight to the death. Bad news, it's, it's because you're horrifically unattractive. You are too ugly for the arena. So, you know, homeliacus, you will have to head home. Go on, get out of here. Uh, go on, go on, limp out of here. Uh, training at gladiator schools was no joke. They trained continuously to gain the highest of skill levels in an attempt to win their freedom and fight honorably. They were – I just keep thinking about myself now. I keep thinking about like uh, – you know, like, like I had too much of a gut or something to – that. what a bummer that would be in a way, you know? I'm ready to fight. I've thought about it. I'm, I'm ready to do it. Ah, well, you, you got – Dan, you, you got too big, buddy. Sorry. So women don't want to look at that. It's hairy and it's, uh, it's not an attractive shape. So get, go on. Go on. Get out of here. Um, Anyway, training gladiator schools, no joke, man. They train continuously to gain the highest uh, skill levels and attempt to win freedom, fight honorably. They're well-fed by Roman standards, receive excellent medical treatment, which is kind of ironic, you know, that they're receiving, like, the best care but have to potentially fight to the death. Um, uh, most gladiators were expected to fight three to five times a year. Uh, and, again, sometimes allowed to keep some of the rewards and money. Uh, some of these trained gladiators did join, uh, you know, formal associations called collegia. To ensure they were provided with proper burials and that compensation was given to their families when they died. It's, it's like a like an old gladiator union. And a lot of other details we don't really need to get bogged down with today. I, th- I think you get the idea of what gladiators were about. Mostly slaves, some free men. Money was given to some. You know, the, uh, they got to keep it. You know, some money was given to the winners. Some, some got to keep it. Promoters had to pay for games. Crowds loved stars. They were still looked down upon in the hierarchy of Roman social status. Now, before we dive back into Spartacus, let, let's go over some of the most famous gladiators and gladiatorial games in Roman history. Just real quick here. This is... Pretty awesome info. Uh, everyone associates the Colosseum with gladiators, but animal-on-animal clashes were also uh, popular spectacles. Prior to the reign of Emperor Claudius, a few witnesses recalled a particular gory battle staged between an elephant and an enraged rhinoceros, which the former won after picking up a broken spear with its trunk and gouging the eyes out of its horned adversary. Now, this is hard for me to believe, but that's what they wrote. Can you imagine watching an elephant pick up a spear with his trunk and then use that to poke out a rhino's eyes? What the fuck? Who knew Dumbo had that much anger in him and intelligence? Uh, A bestiarius uh, whose specialty involved fighting wild animals could expect to have a short career, even by gladiator standards. I said earlier that most of these gladiators, you know, uh, um, uh, didn't last long. You know, these uh, guys who had to fight animals, but some did win fame. One of the most famous was uh, Carpo. Carpophorus. Carpophorus routinely, routinely faced off against vicious wild animals such as lions, bears, leopards, and rhinos. He even fought at the opening of the famed Flavian Amphitheater and defeated a, quote, horde of bear, lion, and leopard in single battle. Uh, he also killed a, a, a ferocious rhino with a single spear in one face-off. Uh, and, then, and then his personal bests involved killing 20 different beasts, lions, bears, and leopards in one battle. Not sure how he eventually died, but, but I'm guessing it was horrific. Another famous gladiator was uh, Flama. Flama's love for the ring was so strong that he rejected freedom offers made by impressed Roman politicians not once, not twice, not three times, four times. The former Syrian soldier fought in 33 clashes before finally meeting his end on the sands of the Colosseum at age 30. By then, his popularity was so extensive that his face was being used on Roman coins. Dang, man, that dude clearly loved to fight. He turned down the opportunity for freedom Four separate times. Guess you got a taste for blood and just nothing else would satisfy. Uh, also sucks that, that you could have a record of 33 and 1 and still just be dead. 
Um, in a marvel of theatrical engineering, the Colosseum was periodically flooded and filled with ships to reenact oceanic conflicts. Uh, historian Dio Cassius had the following to say of a particularly notorious uh, battle arranged by the Emperor Titus in ADCE. said, Titus filled the arena with water. He also brought in people on ships who engaged in a sea fight there in a naval battle between 3,000 men. Holy shit. Uh, it's unclear how much the ensuing face-off was pre-orchestrated, how much was theatrical, how much was simply bloody mayhem. But whatever the case, the scale and novelty of the spectacle drew cr- uh, thousands of spectators who crowded, even camped along the streets to catch a glimpse. Uh, the chaotic frenzy of that match, uh, spectators even ended up being uh, trampled to death in their eagerness to see boats clash and blood spilled. Now, I wish I knew exactly how all of the water was able to get in the Coliseum, but I, I just couldn't find a, a satisfying explanation. Other than, you know, just kind of like brief mentions of, you know, some kind of aqueduct water being diverted into the arena and then, you know, funneled back out again for land battles that would it would happen later. If any diehard Roman experts out there know, I know I have a lot who listen, uh, write us at Bojangles at TimesuckPodcast.com. If, if you can find like a an understandable explanation of how the hell they got that kind of water into the arena. Because I, I, I'm still confused because if the animals were kept in pens underneath to be lifted up. Because they had like hydraulics – not hydraulics. They had like a series of chains and pulleys that could like lift an animal into the uh, arena to then fight somebody. So that means that there's uh, an elaborate kind of uh, complex of holding pens and things underneath. How do you flood it but not also flood everything underneath? I don't know. Uh, occasionally there were, there were happy endings in the arena. In the first century CE, the poet Marshall recorded the, the most detailed account of a, gladi- a gladiator battle known to modern historians – During a series of games held by Titus, a pair of gladiators battled literally for hours before simultaneously then laying down their weapons and surrendering to each other. Touched by their sportsmanship, Titus granted the pair their freedom as the crowd cheered uproariously. Okay, so now we know a little about gladiators, and uh, we know Spartacus was a gladiator. Unfortunately, we don't know how many matches he fought. We don't know if he ever fought in a, uh, a public fight. Um, we have no idea if he was, you know, how successful he was or any of those details. We do know he led the biggest slave rebellion in Roman history, and, and we're going to walk through that rebellion, uh, walk through his war. But first, let's check in with today's sponsor, The Great Courses Plus. Yes, Time Suck is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus, and great is an understatement. It's fantabulous. If you love the adventure of learning new things, you're going to love watching and listening to The Great Courses Plus. I received the most wonderful email just the other day from a time sucker. Who started, you know, heard about it on the show, started using the Great Courses Plus, and was just so happy uh, to start watching their engaging courses. He, you know, he said he, he'd always had a thirst for knowledge, but, you know, shit happens in life, and he just wasn't able to afford to go to college. And now with Time Suck and then with the Great Courses Plus, his brain is on steroids. He's got, he's got brain roids going on. His brain is uh, he's rubbing that kind of Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens type cream on itself. Uh, the Great Courses Plus lets you explore fascinating topics and learn from award-winning experts about anything that interests you. Ancient history, astronomy, psychology, how to take better photos, so much more. Over 10,000 lectures to stream and more added all the time. Watch or listen anytime with the Great Courses Plus app. I recommend the Great Courses Plus course on the Vikings. Did you know uh, that to the Vikings, afterlife depended on one's activities in life, right? Women who died in childbirth were considered to have a noble uh, you know, afterlife, those who died of old age or sickness were seen as despised. They didn't get this, uh, as much cool stuff in the afterworld. I, I wish I would have watched that course before I did my Norse God suck. Uh, lecture number six in the Vikings course taught by Professor Kenneth W. Harl from Tulane University does speak specifically about the Norse gods. 
I watched this course and learned that the uh, that the wives of noble Vikings were also buried with them, just like the Thrace. Buried a whole ship for the guy uh, who died and then put his wife in it uh, before they threw dirt on him. Uh, I love when Dr. Harl says, the wives were put on the ship with them a bit reluctantly. They were strangled. Uh, yeah, I bet they were a little bit reluctant to be strangled. Really paints a picture. Again, thank God we live now. Uh, we got our own cultural problems, but at least mom isn't getting choked out at dad's uh, funeral and thrown into the grave. It's nice hearing uh, Dr. Hall pronounce all those jacked up Norse names like uh, Yggdrasil, the sacred tree that connects, that connects the nine worlds of Norse mythology. Love hearing him talk about dragons attacking this world tree all the time, you know. He really breaks down a very complex mythology into something understandable in about half an hour. Now, this is the perfect course for you to get started with if you loved our Norse Gods episode. And there's far more courses in this one. Try any of the Great Courses Plus wonderful lectures. When, and, and as a time sucker, you get a special limited time offer of a full month of unlimited access for free. To get this free month, you must sign up at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck. Get your free month. Link in the episode description. All right. Spartacus and the year... 73 BCE, uh, he's a slave at the gladiatorial school of a Roman owner, Gnaeus Cornelius Lentulus uh, <laughs> Batius in Capua, just 16 miles north of Naples. Uh, Naples, slave, uh, you know, uh, named Spartacus, you know, he leads this rebellion. God, these fucking names these people had. Spartacus helped organize a, a breakout that led to more than 70 gladiators escaping armed with knives, cleavers, other makeshift weapons. Uh, and again, you know, he, he uh, escaped with his wife, um, uh, the rest of the people he escaped with were primarily other gladiators. Spartacus and a small band of escapees acquired gladiator weapons from a passing cart, make their way to Mount Vesuvius more than a century before it erupted. And in Spartacus' time, the mount was actually covered with vines and fertile farmland nearby instead of being buried in ash. You know, Spartacus and his co-leaders, you know, Crixus and Anamos, uh, raid locals for supplies, recruit more slaves. They travel across the countryside. Initially, Rome doesn't respond to Spartacus growing, you know, forced too seriously. At the time of his breakout, the Republic's military was busy fighting in Spain, Southeast Europe, Crete, and, uh, and a group of escaped slaves wasn't seen as, a, as posing a serious challenge to Roman soldiers. Probably figured they'd just, you know, they'd run off back to whatever lands they'd, they'd taken, out, you know, taken off from. You know, whatever. Have a nice trip. Don't come back. Uh, you're not worth the headache. We can get plenty more slaves. But over the coming weeks, uh, they'd ransacked enough Roman uh, citizens' land and, and had enough new slaves join their rebellion for them to be taken a little more seriously. And then the Romans dispatch a, a praetor named Gaius Claudius Glauber to form an army to crush the slaves. Glauber doesn't sound to me like the name of someone on the A-team. The slaves have amassed a sizable army, Senator. Should we send in one of our best generals? Mm, no, those, those men are busy. Send in Glauber. Send the Glauber. Put the Glauber on the case. Uh, Glauber and another dude named Publius Valerius... Uh, you know, got a got a scientist. His name sounds even worse than Glauber. He sounds like a venereal disease. Glauber, you're white as a ghost, my man. Are you okay? No, Senator, I'm not okay. In my battles with Spartacus men, I somehow came down with a nasty case of Publius Valerius. What in the hell were you doing? You're supposed to fight his men, not fuck them. And these two dudes, they they don't take official armies to the fight. They don't. Uh, they did not command the regular citizen army of legions, but rather whatever forces they could hastily conscript on the spot. Wrote uh, Appian, a writer who also lived in the second century CE. So, like I said earlier, they uh, they they brought in. Or I, I shouldn't say also. He lived in the second century CE, like a lot of other kind of historians who would write about this. It was all kind of written about quite quite a bit later. And they he said they brought in the B team, summer league team. 
You know, took in some scrubs against the Dream Team. Not a good policy. Uh, Glauber's ad hoc army didn't even try to attack Spartacus. Instead, they blocked off the uh, main route of his escape from Vesuvius, pitched camp there, tried to starve him out. Spartacus was too crafty for that. He and his newly liberated slaves had built rope out of wild grapevines, used it to move down a different, much steeper part of the mountainside. The Romans had neglected to defend. The Romans still in camp never saw this coming. And then the slaves were able to surround them and to shock the Romans with a surprise attack. When the Romans fled, the slaves seized their camp, wrote the Roman historian Plutarch. News of this success was whispered far and wide and resulted in new recruits flocking to the force of Spartacus. Reminds me of that Pancho Villa suck, man. Word gets out. Someone's someone's bringing some, some power to the fucking people, and the bandwagon starts growing. Plutarch wrote, at this point, many of the herdsmen and shepherds from the surrounding regions, hard-bodied and swift-footed men, came to join the slaves. I like the way he wrote that. Hard-bodied and swift-footed. Oh, man. I, used to, I remember when I used to be somewhat hard-bodied and uh, not quite as slow-footed. Uh, the growth of Spartacus's force was also aided by other factors. Throughout his rebellion, his army spent much of its time in rural areas and small towns, places that were poorly defended but also had an abundance of slaves. Solid for recruiting. Additionally, according to ancient sources, Spartacus insisted on equally dividing the spoils, something that Roman officers sure as hell didn't do, and, uh, and that made recruitment all that much easier. In time, Spartacus even succeeded in getting non-slaves to join his rebellion. They became that popular. They, they had built such a formidable force. You know, uh, you know that many freedmen and other free commoners joined their ranks. Let's make some money. Let's, let's get some spoils of war. Spartacus and his men continued to ambush and defeat Roman units while freeing slaves in the countryside and gathering supplies. I mean, this is pretty epic. Now, he, I mean, he's really getting Rome's attention now. Back in Rome, the Senate sends another army his way, this time a real one, this time uh, led by consuls Lucius Gallius Publica, Publicola and Gnaeus Cornelius Lentulus Claudinius. Each man may have commanded 10,000 troops. Both men definitely had super fucked up way too long Roman names. By the spring of 72 BCE, Spartacus had 40,000 troops. And he decided to head north to the Alps towards Thrace. Time to go home. But some of his army didn't want, uh, didn't want to do that. They wanted to uh, stay in southern Italy with their, one of his co-leaders, Crixus. This would be the beginning of his undoing, man. You can't divide up. You're fighting the Roman Republic. you got to stay together. You need every man... You know, says the guy who probably would literally shit himself and hide if he had to fight in any of the battles mentioned in today's suck. Uh, the Roman force under uh, Gellius caught up with Crixus, killing him, uh, along with uh, many of the rebels. Uh, Gellius then proceeded to advance on Spartacus from the south, while Lentulus, who apparently was ahead of Spartacus, drove in from the north. Now Spartacus is trapped between two armies, both likely equipped with better arms and army than he had. But Spartacus had built up a sizable cavalry force in the preceding months. Again, Thracians were noted horsemen. Yeah, they were reported to uh, be able to tame even wild horses. Spartacus suddenly rushed at them and engaged them in battle. He surprised them again. They didn't think he was going to do that. He defeated uh, Lentulus's legates, captured all of their supplies, Plutarch writes. Gellius was then either defeated by Spartacus or forced to retreat. Uh, we don't know. We don't have the historical record of exactly how that went uh, ended. Spartacus had not only escaped the trap, but he mauled the shocked Roman army, allowing his troops to then march to the Alps. Uh, uh, after defeating another Roman force, this one led by a Roman governor named Gaius Cassius uh, Longinus, Spartacus's uh, force was now free to climb the Alps and go to Gaul, Thrace, or multiple other areas, you know, not controlled by Rome, starting new life. You know, they got another shot to fucking take off, but they, again, they don't take it. For reasons lost to history, he turns his force around, heads back to Italy again. Various theories uh, have been proposed for why he did this. The best explanation was that it was already hinted at in ancient sources. It was, uh, I guess, it was Nimrod's will. 
Hail Nimrod, or maybe Luciferus, or Jupiters, or Neptunes, or Dingle Hoppers. I don't know. It was somebody's will. Actually, many historians think it was the will of Spartacus's army. Spartacus's own men probably vetoed him. Success may have gone to their heads, aroused visions of you know sending Rome, uh, putting it down in flames. You know, getting some revenge, just some killing in the name of a little bit of fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. The raging against the machine of Rome. Uh, also, the sight of the intimidating Alps may have persuaded them also to head back. They may have been worried about pulling a big old Roman Donner party. They want to they die eating each other's asses up in those mountains. So they headed back south and then were betrayed by pirates near Sicily. They made it all the way down there. Man, pirates. Who thought they'd show up in this tale? Not me. You know, our gladiator matey. How might Blackbeard be of service to your loincloth wearing arse? Uh, Spartacus and his men made it all the way back down to the Strait of Messina. I don't... Again, it's not known why they didn't uh, why they passed Rome instead of attacking it. Maybe they just didn't feel like they had the, the force to directly attack it. They made it all the way down to the Strait of Messina. There's a Mediterranean Sea that separates Sicily from the rest of Italy. Only two miles across in some places. Slightly less than two miles, actually, but Spartacus couldn't cross it. Uh, they reached that strait in the winter of 72, 71 BC, uh, BCE. Uh, Spartacus needed two things, good boats and good sailors, to be able to land an advanced party of his troops across the strait. He turned to a group of Sicilian pirates, as Plutarch called them, to help him out. Some pirates who frequented the area, who were equipped with speedy boats and navigational knowledge, things Spartacus needed to make this crossing. But the pirates had other plans. Although the Sicilians made an agreement with Spartacus and accepted his gifts, they deceived him and sailed away, wrote Plutarch. You know, whether the pirates had been bribed by Romans or just didn't want to be involved or just, you know, just felt like taking the money and running is not known. Fucking pirates, man. Making shit hard for people even in the age of Spartacus. They were just like, ah, gladiator matey, you can't handle the sea, eh? Well, for one box of gold, we'll take your men across them, and my name isn't Blackbeard. And then Spartacus gave them the gold, and they just left. Foolish gladiator mateys, my name is, isn't Blackbeard, it's Neptunicus. It's Neptunicus Trickerurus, sea thief. Uh, Spartacus ordered his troops to assemble boats of their own. He tried to cross himself. They succeeded in building a number of boats, but they, uh, they weren't good enough to make it across the strait. So he... He's, he's, he's kind of, he abandons that plan. His troops are stuck on the Italian mainland two damn miles, and he didn't have the seafaring knowledge to pull it off. So this, this leaves Spartacus with no choice but to go back up north again. Well, by this time, you know, by the time he'd reached the Straits and been trying to get across and had the whole pirate debacle, and a new leader named Marcus uh, Licinius Crassus has taken command of the Roman forces against him. Now, Crassus was a little more formidable than previous guys who'd come after him. He was a wealthy individual, very wealthy able to raise a large army and pay them at least in part out of his own pocket, and he was a ruthless motherfucker. In his business dealings, Plutarch said Crassus had a scheme where he bought up the burning properties and the buildings in a neighborhood of those uh, alight as the owners would surrender them for a small sum of money out of fear and uncertainty. It's thought that he, it's thought that he might have also set fires to get kind of that stuff. You know, that's, that's messed up, you know? Set a neighborhood on fire and then come through, hey, uh, it's terrible. Well, uh, I'll, I'll buy your property. I know it's not worth much, but I'll take it off your hands. In his military life, he's even more ruthless. Among his forces were the remnants of legions belonging to Gellius and Lentulus that had been previously defeated by Spartacus. And as a consequence, quote, Crassus selected every tenth man from the consular legions by lot and had him executed. And Appian wrote that. He also re- revived a practice called decimation where units that ran away from the enemy – would draw lots and have a random number of soldiers killed by being clubbed or stoned to death. That's, that's some hardcore shit. So, you know, needless to say, discipline tightens up a lot under Crassus. 
know, they're going to fight hard against Spartacus or they're going to be, you know, clubbed to death. Still knowing that many of Rome's best soldiers were outside Italy fighting other wars, Crassus proceeds carefully when moving against Spartacus. Rather than try and openly battle him in southern Italy, he builds a system of fortification centered on uh, Malia Ridge in an effort to trap Spartacus and starve his troops, which, you know, that other guy tried earlier. Well, Spartacus responds to the situation by offering Crassus a peace treaty that Crassus rejects. Spartacus has caused too much mayhem by this point to, uh, to get any kind of truce. And then perhaps seeing his own soldiers beginning to uh, waver, Spartacus stiffens their resolve by crucifying a Roman soldier and then, you know, put him, put him up on the cross for all to see. Uh, it served as a visual demonstration to his own men of what would happen to them if they did not win, wrote Appian. And, and he would be right here about what would happen to them if they didn't win, as we'll find out here soon. Spartacus eventually managed to break through Crassus' trap by, uh, by filling in one of the trenches uh, Crassus had dug to entrap him with human bodies – you know, the bodies of men who had died in battle and then riding over the top of these bodies was cavalry. Man, that's a – god dang, man. Had his horses run over a bridge made out of dudes, a dude bridge. Having flashbacks to Cortez and that Aztec sucked, man. Remember, Cortez had to uh, do something similar to escape from Tecnotilan, you know, with the, with the Aztec – against the uh, – running from the Aztecs. You know, dude bridges, man. What a, what a terrible way to travel. Well, while Spartacus escapes Crassus' trap temporarily – uh, it, this hurts him overall. Ancient writers say that he loses thousands of soldiers in the breakout attempt. Furthermore, a split emerges in the rebel camp, and some of his army take off again. So, you know, he gets division in his own army again. And then also what hurts him is Crassus gets some uh, Roman reinforcements. In the spring of 71 BCE, uh, the men who split away from his camp are crushed by the Romans, and then those extra Roman forces land in uh, Brundisium, this port, you know, crushing the hope that the rebels had for getting out of Italy by using that port. And then what happens next is hard for historians to explain. Uh, Spartacus, I guess, could have tried possibly where he was at to escape via another port. I don't know. Maybe those maybe those pirates kind of you know poisoned the well for him trying to use the sea. Could have tried to escape to another part of Italy. His force wasn't, I guess, completely trapped, and, and he still had uh, roughly thirty thousand troops able to fight. But for reasons lost to history, he decides to attack Crassus. Maybe he was just, you know, that aggressive. Maybe he's like, no, hmm, maybe it was pride or something. The final battle took place in April 71 BCE somewhere in the upper Solarius Valley. Uh, Solaris Valley. Spartacus' strategy appears to have been twofold. He's going to use his cavalry to attack Crassus' archers and missile throwers, while Spartacus would then lead his infantry in an attempt to kill Crassus directly, hoping that his army would fall apart after his death. Well, Crassus built trenches to block Spartacus' cavalry, uh, uh, prompting a wild melee when Spartacus' men jumped in and tried to stop their construction. And then eventually Spartacus lined up his men for battle, and then Crassus lined up his men, and then check this shit out. So now the two armies are lined up for battle, opposed each other, getting ready to have a big epic fight. And then Plutarch wrote that just before this battle, Spartacus gets off his horse and then kills his horse and tells his men if he won the battle, he would have many fine horses that belong to the enemy. But if he lost, he would have no need of a horse. That is... Is some serious man shit. I have never done anything 1% as manly as that in my entire life. Sometimes I've thought about getting out of my truck in a moment of road rage and punching somebody out in traffic, but I've never done it. You know, I'm sure out of some kind of fear. You know, I've yelled at people a lot, but but it's never, you know, really went farther than that other than some childhood, you know, pushing, light punching kind of stuff. Spartacus killed his fucking horse in front of his men, you know, told them they're either going to take the enemy's horses or they're not going to need horses because they're going to be dead. That is some serious, you know, tonight we dine in hell. That's some that kind of shit. Spartacus's cavalry, apparently unable to reach Crassus's missile throwers and archers, undeterred, Spartacus at the head of his troops and on foot leads a charge against Crassus. 
Spartacus is said to have hacked down two centurions in this final attempt, but it was in vain. There's varying accounts about his death, but they all end with him being surrounded and then killed. And then with his death, his army falls apart and Crassus and other Roman forces hunt down the remaining rebels. Now, the body, the body of, excuse me, of Spartacus was apparently never identified, and, and, and historians think his final struggle might have left uh, only the badly disfigured body of a soldier dressed in ordinary armor. So it just wouldn't be able to be distinguished from other men. So, you know, it's, I think some people want to have this fantasy that, like, he escaped. That's, I don't think so. That's very highly, highly, highly unlikely. He's probably just buried in a mass grave with the rest of his troops. And, you know, even if archaeologists find it, they're not going to be able to distinguish this famous commander from any of the other troops because he, he wasn't wearing anything different than them. Uh, while most of his army of slaves were killed in this battle, the, the remaining army, 6,000 were captured and then 6,000 were crucified along the Appian Way from Rome to Capua, a reminder to other slaves to never do this again. 6,000 crucifixions. That's a lot of work for somebody. You, you know somebody flipped their shit when they, heard, when they had that order to, to, to pull that off. He, he, wants, he wants to crucify how many? Six thousands. Has he lost his goddamn mind? We don't have that many crosses. We can't build that many crosses. We don't have the nails. We don't have the time. He said, what? He says, have it done by Monday or, or I will be crucified. <sighs> okay. Uh, all right. All right. All right. We'll figure something out. Uh, somebody, there's got to be a good wood or nail guy around here somewhere. Oh, all right. While Spartacus's uprising was ultimately crushed, his memory does live on, more so than the Romans who, who fought against him or otherwise deposed him, you know? I mean, who today remembers Crassus? Everyone remembers Spartacus. And, and I have a few more thoughts on Spartacus, but before I share them, let's, let's dig into uh, uh, the thoughts of today's idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. internet. Under a video titled The Real Spartacus, a 2001 documentary, uh, published by Vortex of Chaos, user Fire Mr. Burn comes in hot with some misinformation saying, ha ha ha, he says he simply came from Thrace, today's Bulgaria, LOL. Three, Thrace is Greek, you idiot. And that's not true. Uh, as we learned today, part of Thrace was located in present day Bulgaria. Uh, user Warrior One knows that and reply, <laughs> replies pretty aggressively. Uh, saying, fire Mr. Byrne, no, you're the idiot, because Thrace is on the border of Bulgaria, Turkey, and Greece. The majority area of ancient Thrace is in Bulgaria. So do your research before coming on here commenting like a fucking fool. Oh, man, warrior one. Not letting him get away with his bad info for one second. Coming down hard on fire Mr. Byrne. Uh, fire Mr. Byrne then posts, warrior one, Thrace is Greek, end of story. To which Warrior One comes back with, Fire Mr. Burn, you're a moron. End of conversation. Just directly. And then what I love uh, is that you then never see Fire Mr. Burn pop up again. So I, I like to assume that what he did was he did realize he was a moron and then skulked away. Like, you know, he's like, I'm not fucking moron, Warrior One. Hey, hey, Siri, where was ancient Thrace located? Thrace was located in the area now covered by present-day Bulgaria. Part of... Oh, God damn it. Shit, I'm a moron. And then he just, you know, went on to some other uh, post thread. User uh, uh, Tubler Jura, I don't know how, this is like a nonsense word he wrote, has an interesting takeaway from watching the, the Spartacus documentary. Um, posting, I just love the, the language here. Romans were defeated because they became lazy perverts. And same will happen with modern Europe. I say it as European. Uh, what? 
Is 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 there some kind of big lazy pervert epidemic in Europe that I'm unaware of? Like uh I know we have a lot of European time suckers who listen. Are are you guys just over there being both pervy and lazy, which is such an odd combo. Um, you know, just what to to contrast that, I guess from like a like a non-lazy perv. I I would think that a lazy perv would be better for society overall than a motivated perv. That's what you don't want. That's that's the last kind of perv you want is an ambitious, motivated perv. You know, look at look at this perv we got over here. This is one of our best pervs. You know, like there's some like perv.com company. He's a motivated, hardworking perv. He's out there molesting and harassing 10, 12 hours a day. Doesn't even take off weekends. Just constant boob grabbing and dick tugging. Meanwhile, we can barely get this other lazy perv over here to, to even look up an occasional skirt. Derek Weinhart TV makes uh, an even weirder, more random, and creepier comment. <laughs> he posts, imagine how much rape there was. That's all he posts. Imagine how much rape there was. What? Really? You're going to leave one post under a Spartacus video and uh, a video for, about like men fighting for freedom, fighting against slavery, you know, uh, you know, men fight to fight, forced to fight other men, oftentimes to the death for public entertainment. And somehow your brain immediately goes to rape. You know, is that just who you are and just in general? Hey, hey, Derek, what do you what do you think of the Super Bowl this year? Oh, man, I was, I was thinking about how much, how much raping those guys could do. If they weren't so focused on football, man. I mean, right. You were thinking it. Man, they could just be like rape machines, couldn't they? No, he thinks. Just imagine how much raping probably goes on in the offseason. What the fuck are you talking about, Derek? And, and, and about 90% of the hundreds <laughs> of comments just say the same thing. They just say, I am Spartacus. And, uh, and today, I am out of today's Idiots of the Internet. Idiots of the Internet. That was a short one, I know. That was a short Idiots. Uh, but yeah, I just, uh, I did it mostly today. I threw that in there just because of those two comments. Just like, where are some people's minds go? It's just weird what it says about people too. Like, I know sometimes it's trolling. I, I get those comments. I know sometimes it's trolling, but I think sometimes just, you know, people just reveal their true selves in the comment threads. Like, you know, like the, the perv and the rape things, those people, you're fucking perv. That's where your brain goes just immediately with this stuff. Uh, okay. So that, so that's today's tale. We, we don't really know much of the, in the way of details of Spartacus's life. Uh, he must have been a great military leader and charismatic to get so many men to join him. Uh, must have loved his wife, you know, to uh, to take her with him in his escape. And and I would imagine, you know, just to get her there with him at the same, you know, school initially was was something he fought on behalf of. Uh, must have been a tough son of a bitch to get a bunch of trained gladiators to follow him into battle. He was inventive based on what we do know about some of the things he did in battle. Brave. He did, he did uh, you know, a lot of that stuff. Uh, Roman historians who give us accounts of Spartacus, uh, did write down their accounts decades after his death. So we don't know how much has kind of, you know, become ancient fish tales and how much, you know, where the legend stops and the real man begins. I'm sure he's a mix of man and legend, you know. But but gladiators were, were not just legends. I mean, that shit really did happen uh, as far-fetched as it seems to me. You know, men and women really put into an arena surrounded by cheering sports fans, you know, where they would – knock each other bloody, and sometimes fight all the way to the death, sometimes a death called for by the crowd. Uh, what I kept thinking about during this suck this week was how many people would pay to see that shit today? Like like if, like if there was going to be a man versus man death match held in your town or, or, uh, or man versus bear or woman versus woman, you know, would you buy a ticket? Would you watch the fight later on YouTube? Would you, would you make it a point to not watch and to wash your hands of the whole thing? 
You know, how many of us watch boxing, MMA fights? You know, I do uh, here and there. You know, every once in a while, one of those dudes uh, does die. And yet we still watch, you know, what if fighters died like once every hundred matches or, or once every 50? Would you watch then? Would you watch if they died once every 10 matches or once every five? When would it become unacceptable morally for you? Uh, you know, or what if it was criminals convicted of heinous crimes? What if they were the ones fighting? Would it then be okay? Uh, is, is the, is the um, angle of it was uh, primarily slaves who were forced to fight, is that the most morally reprehensible part of it? Or is just fighting to the death in general disgusting? Uh, I was trying to think about myself and trying to be honest with myself. I, I would not – I'd like to think I would not watch a match live that I wouldn't watch it on pay-per-view, some kind of death match. But, I mean, to, to be completely honest – as a very curious person who sometimes you know can't help himself looking in probably places he shouldn't, I, I think, I think I would watch it on online afterwards. You know, if I could find it on YouTube, I I would be so curious as to how it ended. I mean, I would probably watch a couple clips at, at the very least. You know, darkly curious about it. I don't know where you know where where would you draw the line? Where should the line uh, should be drawn? I don't know. Just food for thought, man. Sometimes I think we've evolved so much as people since the days of the Coliseum death matches, but sometimes I wonder if morally we've, we've really uh, evolved much at all. I don't know. Enough about what I do or do not think. Let's get to today's top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, Spartacus was eventually killed in 71 BCE, but his name lives on, still inspiring others to fight their oppressors. And despite his eventual military, uh, military defeat, he did lead the most massive and most successful uh, slave uprising in Roman history. Number two, gladiators started off as slaves forced to fight to the death at funerals, became slaves forced to fight in arenas, eventually became a combination of slaves, convicts, and actual free men who chose to be gladiators because they, they were some of the biggest, if not the biggest, celebrities in Rome. Number three, the most dedicated of Thracian wives got the honor of being stabbed or speared to death and buried with their husbands. And women got to fuck around with whomever they please, judgment-free, before marriage. So uh, so in Thrace, you know, I guess I guess it paid to be a wild and fun-loving gal, you know, as, as opposed to a dedicated wife. Hail, hail Lucifina. Uh, women, uh, number four, excuse me, number four, women were also gladiators for many years, fighting and sometimes dying in the arena. When is that movie getting made? You know, a, a real movie, not, not an adult film. And number five, new info. If you haven't seen the Spartacus series originally released on the Stars Network, you're missing out. I remember when this thing came out back in 2010. It was my favorite show for a while. Uh, ran from 2010 to 2013. Uh, there was a brief hiatus, unfortunately, after the first season because the dude playing Spartacus, uh, the, the poor guy died of cancer. It's terrible. And then they continued on the show. And they, they did do a good job continuing with the new lead. And the show features so much nudity. So much really hot nudity. I'm just going to say that. And not just female nudity. You know, I know some shows can slant that way. Lady suckers, a lot of dick. A lot of cock and balls out on display in the old Stars Network programming. Surprise, surprising amounts. An amount, uh, Queen of the Suck, uh, Lindsay, does not enjoy that on screen. And I keep, I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, I don't care. You're not going to offend me. Look, some guy's dick pops on the screen. It really doesn't bother me. If you're like, oh, okay, all right. Like, I don't, I'm not, whatever. I'm not uh, threatened. By that stuff, it doesn't. I don't care. But she get it's funny for it's, I. I kind of want it to happen on screen because she doesn't enjoy visual cock on screen, and it. Uh, and so the show is too much for her. She's like, God dang! All right, I get it. But um, also features a lot of gladiatorial combat, very compelling television. I think good storyline, solid characters, characters based on real historical figures like Crixus, Spartacus are all in there. 
you know, great time period Roman programming for those who aren't prudish and don't mind uh, near constant nudity. Uh, and, and, a tale, and it tells the tale we told here today in vivid fashion. And I, I would say it is rated four out of five Luciferus. Time suck. Top five takeaways. All right, another file marked complete. Check. Thrown into the suck cabinet. Thank you, Bojangles. Be glad, so glad you don't have to fight the powers of Rome for your freedom. Be glad you're not thrown into a gladiator pit against rhinos, tigers, fucking elephant with a spear. <laughs> People really good at fighting or, or you know, or even a, a large army of, uh, you know, armored squirrels. Uh, big thanks to the Time Suck team once again, the high priestess of the Suck Harmony Camp, Jesse Dobner, the paladin of punctuation. I don't know if he wants that nickname to stick or not, but he's thinking about it. Uh, Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley. Thanks also to the Time Suck High Priest, Alex Dugan, Customer Care Specialist, uh, the Bit Elixir Team, Danger Brain, Merch Maestro, Eric Radiker, Queen of the Suck, Lindsey Cummins, OG Bangles, uh, OG Bo- Bangles, the OG Bojangles Research Department Intern, Sarah and Rebecca Reba Lilly, who kicked off this episode, the Lilly Twins, the Roman Hammers of Knowledge. I love that two young ladies kicked off this testosterone-laden journey we took today. Uh, if you have any problems, suggestions, et cetera, for now, please email the show, bojangles at timesuckpodcast.com. We do have some other emails. I, we're going to get a fact page going on the app and website, so it's easier to kind of like send you to one place that then you can see where to go uh, for like, you know, merch problems or, or or app problems. For now, kind of bojangles, we can kind of reroute it from there. Um, we're, we're doing our best to, to grow and keep up with you guys spreading the suck, which has been a wild ride and, and it's the best career ride of my life. Love it. Uh, you want to meet some fellow – and thank you for the reviews, by the way, uh, that you keep putting everywhere. I, there was a place called um, – I want to say Podcast Addict, uh, some podcast app that I don't use. I looked and there was a whole bunch of reviews on there as well. I didn't even know about it, so thanks for doing that. Um, and if you want to meet some fellow time suckers, man, join that f- uh, private Facebook group while we continue to beta test. We're doing that right now. Uh, you know, it's, it's taking long – I always think things should take like two days that can take months, just in general in life. Lindsay is constantly thinking that I'm – I have a terrible habit of being like, oh, yeah, no, we can do that. Let's do this. Uh, let's do ding, 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 and that and this other thing tomorrow. And she's like, that's fucking – that's three days worth of stuff, you idiot. Anyway, working on it, uh, working on the uh, message board, uh, lots of other features. Uh, that Time Suck pr- uh, private Facebook link is in the episode description. Uh, Monday, we suck on the assassination of Lincoln, of, of Lincoln Tinkin' Time, a very uh, lesser-known historical figure who was assassinated by a slingshot – in 1711, he was the president of a chess club. No, that'd be a fucking terrible episode. We're talking about President Lincoln. Who was John Wilkes Booth? Why did he do it? Who helped him? How close did he come to getting away with it? The assassination of President Lincoln, huge moment in American history, and we're going to suck it Monday. You know, of course, we're going to give some context, give a little peek into Honest Abe's life, the times he lived in. Of course, it's one of the most infamous moments, uh, right? Infamous. We learned the origin of that word. Uh, in American political history, it's fascinating. We're going to suck the shit out of it. Sucking the shit out of it. Um, and now we're going to suck on you and your time sucker updates. Updates. Get your time sucker updates. Time sucker David Vandergriff starts us off with some positivity. Hail Nimrod. Uh, lets me know that there is a lot of uh, quality care being doled out in regards to the intellectually disabled, uh, the, what we touched on in the Penthurst uh, suck this, this past week. It says, uh, uh, hello, suck master. My name is David, and for the last 10 years, I have worked in some capacity for the DIDD, the Department of Intellectual and De- Developmental Disabilities. Just finishing, uh, just finished listening to the Penthurst episode. I thought you handled the subject matter well. 
overall gave a good look at some of the issues that were and still are a problem in regard to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. However, specifically when talking about the improvements made in modern-day care, I feel like you had an overwhelmingly negative opinion of how individuals are cared for today, and, uh, and I'll try not to be too long-winded. And, I, and thank you for sending this in, Dave. This is great. He says, uh, currently I work for an agency in Tennessee. There are, they're a nonprofit, one of the best I've seen. I worked for a few different agencies in the last decade. I see firsthand the love and support and time that is put into caring for these people. Currently, I am a behavioral specialist with a focus on community integration throughout my career in the field. I've always been a hands-on caregiver in some way. I'm happy to say that my current agency, I can say with confidence, puts the health and happiness of individuals before anything else, truly focuses on a person-centered life. Sadly, though, that is not always the case. I have worked for a for-profit agency in the past, and, and that was where things got swept under the rug. Or maybe a course of action was taken that was not entirely right for specific individuals in the interest uh, uh, you know, of the situation being more profitable. However, I don't, I don't think that's the norm. The stories you read about from 2016, while obviously horrific and unacceptable, overall small percentage of the population. I'd like to think that type of thing isn't as common as it seems. I think the negative is much more heavily publicized than the positive. I guess that's the case with everything you see on any kind of media outlet. The individuals cared for in my current agency generally live very happy lives. Those who are able and wish to be employed usually are. Even the ones that don't have interest in working still have plenty of spendable income and are taken out to eat often, to shop in grocery stores and malls, taken to the movies, and attend several community events each month as well as larger regional events like the Special Olympics and Prom of the Stars. If you haven't looked into Prom of the Stars, you should. Pretty amazing. It's also been my experience that interaction with people within the community, even those that don't work in this field, is overwhelmingly positive, a far cry from even when I was growing up. One major problem, though, with this line of work is that there are no real prerequisites or training for an entry-level position. So you often do get dirtbags who focus less on client care and think of it as an easy paycheck. If you're doing the job right, I can assure you that it's not. I've, also, I've always said that you meet the best and worst kinds of people doing this type of work. Usually, though, the dirtbags don't stick around long, thank goodness. Anyway, sorry for the long email. Just wanted to write in to tell you that at least in some places, those folks are being taken care of. They are happy, healthy, and loved. I'm certainly not disputing that we can do better as a society. There are still plenty of instances where things that shouldn't be happening are happening. There are definitely some pieces of shit out there, but overall, I think there is a surprising amount of light in the world. If you're actually still reading this at this point, then thank you for taking the time. Oh, thank you for sending it in. I love the podcast. Keep on sucking, David. Oh, well, thank you, David. Man, that that was that is nice, man. And uh, yeah, sometimes I go down these dark rabbit holes, and it definitely skews me a little bit uh, towards seeking out dark information. I get kind of... Uh, you know, st- I, I get a little unintentionally focused in that direction. So that was that was refreshing for you to send that in, and that's great to hear. Uh, also, update uh, regarding how I tricked time sucker Jesse Bogart in last week's pen, her- uh, pen her suck. He wrote in saying, Dear sucker of all things, fascinating, vile, disgusting, and morbidly entertaining in my life, you fucking got me. I've been a stand-up fan for years, found you on Pandora, had no idea about time suck until you did Burtcast. I'm almost completely caught up. I don't miss a single new release. I pride myself on never falling for your insanity. I was listening to the Penhurst episode alone in my truck, hypothesizing about the higher quality of care. Uh, uh, had Penhurst charge viewing tickets like the zoo is being compared to. Then you dropped Baldini exposing himself to children on me. I sat in my truck, jaw on the floor. When you came back with the Baldini's weenie bit, I almost had to pull over. I was laughing so hard at my gullibility. Keep up the good work, Sir Suckitude, loyal servant of Lucifina, Jesse Bogart. Thank you, Jesse. I, I know you guys, oh man, it makes me so happy, which probably says something horrible about me 
when I trick you guys. It just it makes me like do the thing when you're so happy. You, I don't know if you do this, but you, you tense up and put your hands together like a little like <laughs> I caught him, yeah, I caught him. Just so happy inside. Uh, this next one, this really made me laugh, and it was nice to have a good laugh at a very dark subject. This is sent in from Andrew Dupuy. Uh, I helped create one of the most embarrassing moments in his life last week. Uh, <laughs> this would embarrass me so much too. Thanks to the toy box killer suck. Uh, Andrew wrote in saying, dear Lord, master suck it. I'm a loyal military space lizard station here at JBR Alaska. And thank you for your service. And thank you for being a space lizard man so much on both. Uh, <laughs> and Andrew says, was listening to the toy box killer episode on, on the way to the liquor store. While my phone was in my pocket and while I was holding two six-packs and two bottles of wine, <laughs> the episode decided to start playing. Me and other patrons suddenly hear from my pocket at full blast, Hey there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained, gagged. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Too far from the counter to do anything. We all just listened. Probably one of the most embarrassing moments of my adult life to date. Thanks so much for reading. Hope you share my story with the rest of the community. Oh, I, I had to. Love you. Keep on sucking. I oh, love you, Andrew. Man, that is fucking hilarious. I was just imagining my, because I don't, how do you talk your way out of that? I guess you might have to write in again and let us know, man, like what, what happened after that? Because your hands are full. Just the most, it's not like a song. It doesn't sound like a newscast. It's just, hey there, bitch, you controversial. <laughs> Jesus. This is crazy, horrible, sadistic domination fantasy starts playing out of your phone and then uh, like do you just do you just like and that's a it's a um uh podcast but no it's not it's not like that kind it's like a comedy history um like i, I bet a part of you wanted just to like drop everything and just run and then just never go back there ever again uh okay and now uh uh another that was the uh, you know toy box killer now we have an old this is from btk an update that uh, Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley, he uh, he sent me. He was helping out with some uh, some Instagram messages, doing some checks, and check out what he found. I want to share this. Uh, oh my gosh, uh, here we go. I'm pulling it up. It was just too hard to, to transcribe this morning. So okay. Um, so Caden Roberts wrote in. This is a BTK update about how an encounter he had. Um, saying, hey, just wanted to say I'm a huge fan. Just found your podcast a couple weeks ago since I've deployed. Thank you again for your service, Caden. Uh, we get a lot of downtime, and you help suck the time. Uh, just listened to your podcast about BTK, and I'm from Wichita. First off, <laughs> the loony bin is a total shithole. That's a reference to me talking about that comedy club. But my family actually knew Dennis. He was the animal control officer in the city. We lived in Park City, another total shithole. He lived about a mile from us. Remember we were talking about that in that episode? I remember multiple times... Uh, him coming to our house when it was just myself as a little kid, my sister and my mom at home to bring us cat traps and other things of his trade. I remember going to the church he was president of for some kids camp. He actually had pictures of a woman he tied up on the huge cross in the church after he had killed her. Jesus Christ. I want to know like what kind of – how did he bring up those pictures? I mean, I'm sure there weren't pictures of her dead, but like why did he have – why was he showing those pictures? And the last time we ever saw him was the day he killed our dog. This is so messed up. Who was on a leash in the front yard and would go crazy every time he saw him drive by. One day, Dennis hopped out of his truck and killed him. Because he felt threatened by his breed, he was a husky and wolf mix. When my dad came home and found out, he confronted Dennis, got the cops called on him, swore if he saw him again, he'd kill him. Um, 
Sorry, I'm pulling up just the the way this here. Uh, and, yeah, and kill him. Now I wish he would have gotten rid of that piece of shit. But all we, but anyways, keep the shows coming. You keep me going through my miserable life. Oh no, man. God, I don't want to hear it's miserable. Um, hopefully it's better today. You get to hear this message. Hail Nimrod. Yes, thanks. That is fucking terrifying, man. Wow. Um, I bet your dad did want to kill him. That is that is that is nuts that you had those kind of encounters with uh yeah with Dennis Raderman with the BTK. Okay. And it's weird. I think those things are kind of like, uh, you know, we, we read about these people and you just think that you're never going to encounter them in your own life. But it's like they encounter tons of people through, you know, work, through social events, you know, just their lives touched lots of lives. Uh, and, and how weird is that? You know, you're, you're having family interaction with this dude who uh, when he wasn't, you know, putting down people's dogs. God damn, man, Bojangles wants to fucking rip his dick off right now. Uh, you know, he was, uh, he was torturing people, killing people, man. And uh, and finally, uh, looks like I got a got a lot of you uh, uh, time suckers to, to fall for another one of my Penhurst lies, the land <laughs> the land crab lie about the little land crabs that were you know all over the area where they built Penhurst and they had little helicopter tentacles and could fly for short distances. Uh, time sucker Mike Cavill uh, wrote in saying, "Hey Dan, thought uh, thought you may like to know that I just finished googling uh, land crabs. Oh, love it! I love that you did that, Mike." And then Kent uh, Royce wrote in saying, God damn it, Dan. Sir, Reverend Dr. Dan Cummins, Esquire the Fourth, Lego Bojangles, you finally fucking got me. Land crabs? Why, why would even for a second, knowing you, would I think that was a thing? You said it, and I thought, hmm, land crab. What the hell is land crab? You went on about them, making nests, and being a general pest in the area, and I opened up my browser on my phone, ready to Google that shit. Then you said the thing about them flying, and I realized I'd been had. Had 96 episodes, and you finally fucking got me. Usually when you do one of those, I, I can tell you're just fucking around, but this time it really took me a minute. Love the suck. Praise Lucifina. Keep it up. Side note, I live right next to that Dan Cummins car dealership in Paris, Kentucky, that has your Twitter handle. Uh, I see it on the back of cars and passing by, I laugh every time. Because whenever I try and spread the suck, I inevitably get the question, the car dealership? Yes, I know of that car dealership, Kent. God dang it. That car, man, they're the reason I have some jacked up, you know, Twitter handle called D underscore Cummins. So I have to add comedy to the end of my name and my other handles. I've, I've been through uh, Lexington, Paris, and I've heard, get yourself to Paris for a Dan Cummins deal. Are they still pumping out that shitty jingle? Ah, uh, man. Well, thanks for sending that in. Uh, thanks for all of the messages, you, you beautiful meat sacks. You are the best. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. That's all for this week. Unless you uh, are a space lizard, then I will talk to you on Thursday. Try not to find yourself in a pit this week, surrounded by screaming fans urging you to attack some dude with a net and a trident or a wild boar or anything. Uh, I guess there are land crabs. i got to add that just before I close out the show here in India or someplace. Uh, I got a message that there there is a type of crab that actually can live on land. They just, you know, they don't have helicopter tentacles. And, uh, and keep on sucking. Keep on sucking.